this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haverstrow. Tom, we are joined by our favorite guest. No disrespect to the fantastic chefs who join us from time to time. Hershey Ash is a restaurant consultant. He is proprietor of Small Victories in New Orleans, Louisiana. Hershey, welcome. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure to be here. The occasion for Hershey's appearance, as it always is, is Restaurant Wars. Hershey, I, I met Hershey at one of his restaurants in, uh, or, or, or a restaurant he was consulting in Pasadena. That was our initial uh, cause for meeting along with his San Antonio Spurs fandom. And uh, he is an expert in all things. Tom, he is like the X's and O's. He is the, he is the I don't know, Tim Gergrich or, or of, of restaurants. Like he is the luminary coach. Yes, I, I, um, I can't wait to talk to him about this episode because it's a little bit of a curveball to cross-sport metaphor here. Um, we didn't get the traditional, the conventional, hey, you need to come up with the entire restaurant concept with the decor and the, how the menu, all that stuff. Um, but we get more of the actual like meat and bones of what running a restaurant is. So 
I don't think we lose much by not having like, oh, what color scheme are we using for the restaurant? Or what's the, you know, uh, what, what color are we using for the napkins here? No, we just get some full-throated uh, back and forth drama, lots of different, um, I guess, strategy questions on this one. But, right. but Kevin, what, the quick fire was my favorite quick fire. I love oh, this quick fire. And, quick and- fire was great. The tag team. Uh, Hershey, what did you think of the quick fire? I like the, the quick fire. I like the tag team. I was kind of a little bit concerned about someone being under a blindfold for, for, for like 30 minutes and then coming out into the light. That feels like, I believe that that's, uh, it was a term for it under the Bush administration for that kind of uh, behavior. But um yeah, I mean, I, I thought that that was, I actually think, has that happened again? That's actually a brilliant idea. Maybe they could do it without the blindfold, but I love that idea of like tag team cooking. I actually think that's brilliant. I, I, w- I would like to be involved in a challenge like that, I think. Yeah, we had the, uh, we had the producers on the show at the end of this last season, the live season okay. that just ended. And I was like, you know what you need to bring back is the, uh, is, the, is the blindfold tag team question where it's like a game of telephone and you can't tell the person before you what, ha- what you're cooking, and they, the producer's like, well, if you're doing a rewatch of season six, you're in luck because they do it in that season. And yes, you're right, we should do it more often. I just, I just love it. It's, it's, it, it requires so much, um, you need so much self-awareness. You need so much uh, intuit. You have to understand your teammates. Um, I, I don't know um, if you had the first pick of where you wanted to do like the first, the second, the third, or the fourth slot, man, um, if I'm the alpha, if I'm Michael Voltaggio, or if I'm, uh, who was the other, uh, it was Jen who got to pick the, the, first, the first pick. I don't know whether I'd want to start or finish. What do you guys think? I got to tell you, I think Jen won the challenge by having to go first so she gets to choose the ingredients and then having the foresight to start a broth slash stock, right? Like something that required time that would, by virtue of the fact that it required time, would add a real richness to the dish and, and kind of a weight. And she kind of won that challenge. And I, I think it was the perfect role for her. I mean, obviously you go forth, you got to kind of finish execution. You got to plate the thing. To the extent that there are fuck ups, you've got to correct them. Yeah. Ultimately, like like anything that's wrong at that point, you there's no one left to do that. But to me, Jen won that challenge with that stock and broth, getting the table set, something that the other team didn't really do sufficiently. Yeah, I agree. And and I think per your point, even just tactically not just from a flavor point of view, but the stock can only go one place, right? So the second person would have opened their eyes and gone, okay, this is the stock. This is what's in it. Okay, I have to start cooking towards the source, yeah, in, into the flavor amplification rather than the other way around. I also think uh, it's, I mean, I guess we'll come to it in a second, but it's ironic how well and amazingly they work together without any conversation. And then when you gave them a day to organize themselves, it all kind of went to shit, as it were. So yeah. that was a great dichotomy. Yeah, but they didn't even use the stock, right? They, um, Kevin. Oh no, no, they did. They did that. That yeah. that seared sablefish, which she thought was trout. Um, oh, it was the, they, was they sitting didn't... on the sautéed mushrooms in that ginger yeah. shiitake broth, which I, I think really gave it 
you know, sort of the, not only sophistication, but, but really a balance and, and everything else. I also thought it was interesting, Tom Hershey, the weak links went second. Oh. And Voltaggio, Michael Voltaggio kind of explained it, I think, very well, which is to the extent that they're going to fuck up, or for that matter, they just don't bring much. Third and fourth can rectify that. But they're also not first, which is really the table setter. Um, am I correct? And I, I never ran track relay, obviously. I'm just the slowest motherfucker around. But, like, isn't, doesn't the second leg tend to be, like, the, not the weak link, but the slowest or the least? Isn't that generally how it works? Yeah, I think it's actually the third. But, oh, okay. you know, but yeah, like, I know in, 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 I mean, I didn't run track, but, I mean, Kevin and I are both, uh, serious swimmers, almost Olympic level, I would imagine. Certainly Kevin during this uh, quarantine. But like in swimming, yeah, you usually have, uh, here, sound very Australian talk about swimming, but in swimming, yeah, you normally have the, the, the slowest swimmer goes third. But I also think that because Michael Voltaggio, so here's how the draft went. Jen went first, then uh, she picked Kevin, then right. Michael Voltaggio picked his brother, Brian, and then Jen picked Mike Isabella, then Mike Voltaggio picked Eli, then Jen goes Loreen, and Robin is the last pick. Now, Hershey, you have not watched this season, correct? I've, I've watched a couple episodes before to lead in. Oh, okay. So you knew kind of how good Michael Voltaggio has been, and Jen is, is, is pretty strong. And the draft, Kevin, the interesting thing about the draft to me was Michael Voltaggio drafted his brother, and I think he either had to go 3-4 with his brother or – one, two. And he decided he didn't want Eli and Robin to finish the dish. But I, I kind of thought because, because Michael Voltaggio is such a control freak and he's, um, you know, someone who just has a vision and he's going to execute. I almost thought that him, he might be better off going first. Nah, nah, he's going to, he's going to be, he wants to play. He wants to finish the execution. Yeah. Like anybody can take shit out of a cupboard or a fridge. Yeah. <sighs> I don't you know. know I, 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 I disagree. Now, Jen he only is, has the ingredients that he can work with. I guess maybe maybe Brian Voltaggio is going to be able to steer whatever he got into what he knows that Mike, his brother, yeah. will like. And by the well, way, I, I think Jen is sort of perfectly suited for that role. Not that she couldn't have executed the end. She's got vision. And, and I think that was that was going to be key and kevin is sort of perfectly suited to for it yeah and i think it's smart to do the second as your as your least strong uh uh teammate because you can neither screw up the conception nor can you screw up the execution exactly exactly so uh, there's also provided to it right which is his his thinking would have been and this is all chefs is i don't care what you give me i can make a good dish they didn't win though. Uh, so Michael Voltaggio doesn't okay. win. Um, he, they do like a, a steak. Um, and Jen, she wanted to poach the fish in that oil. Right. And Kev's like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. Um, and you could see Jen off to the side, like pulling out her hair because she's stressed out. Um, I was wondering guys, do, do you think you would have done like a communication system? Like if they started doing something what, like signs in baseball or something, I don't know if it's signs, but like if someone was doing, uh, executing the dish in a way you didn't like, oh, could you just like cough? <laughs> Cause you could see off to the side that Jen was like, Oh no, oh, I don't. And then like when, when it was over, she was like, yeah, good job. But I could, I could really feel that whatever Kevin was doing, was she was just kind of like no no wait wait I wanted you to know do what's this. funny about that and I was thinking about this Tom, she thought it was trout 
Had she known it was sable fish, which is a wonderfully fatty fish, which which means I think that it can stand up to the grill without getting dried. I wonder if she had been less had less consternation about it. I, yeah, I, I'm not sure because I, I think what Tom's saying about the oil is right. I think she I think she had in her mind this the the slow poaching in the oil so it retained this richness, and then she wanted the the stock. I mean it. It's funny because nothing about it now. I guess the way she thought the stock would work out, which was the part that was highlighted as the reason why she won. I get the feeling she wanted to poach it in oil, like you said, and then have the stock add brightness. And it's interesting that the stock ended up being used to add richness. Go the other way. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I, I wasn't clear to me. Did, did she completely misunderstand where the fish was, or she just said it at the at the time that she was up? She so said, "I called black cod trout on national TV. Awesome." Yeah. Yes. Right, so I, I, think she, I think she actually thought that, and I'm, oh, was yes. clearly embarrassed, which she doesn't need to be. And um, as, as I told you, Tom, I uh, I finally perfected the Nobu miso black cod in this house. I finally got it. I didn't realize I was trying a lot of different combinations. I pan sear it, and then I put it under the broiler. And that's it. And when I do that, and I just watch it like a hawk get that nice, you know, you can't burn it, but you just that that, but you want that caramelized it, it is I, i'm very proud of this This is one of the best things to come out of quarantine hershey i've nailed it well can, can you compare it to because i'll give you a little tip for a place that actually does that cod so well and doesn't get any of the credit on third uh down just below farmer's market is rabada and they do a black cod on the coffin sort of charcoal there that is outrageous oh this is my problem is rabada junior right that's the one you know i the problem is I don't have really a charcoal grill. I, yeah. I, you know, I'm working with gas. I know, I know, I know. I just, and by the way, I haven't, I've stopped grilling a lot. I mean, I, you know, so the other thing that came out of this gentleman coming in the mail in transit, as we speak is my first ISI container. I'm ready. I'm ready to whip foams. I'm ready to get that miso butter whipped um and you know like forget the dessert i'm i'm gonna use it for savory it's a big move for me it's it's really it's a little intimidating those cartridges like i'm gonna blow up the house can i say those cartridges fight back do be careful oh what do you mean they fight back you'll see when you try and put it in the first time am i gonna hurt myself no but it'll fight back a little bit like they don't don't go in as easy and quick as 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 you know as possible you'll see as like the youtube video suggests that it's the easiest thing you'll get on top of it but the first time you'll be like oh that fought back Oh There's man! Pressurized gas in there, you know, like so. Am I am I making a mistake? No, I like, don't think so. I mean, I mean I'm how, really in, I'm really incompetent. Are, like, the, are, are the windows double glazed in your house? <laughs> There's a Milgard glass door, which if it if it, <laughs> if it gets destroyed, I'm kind of really screwed. Uh, no, you should be okay. I mean, your hand will be there. You'll just feel a little bit of a fight back. You'll see. So, so is is meat like a miso butter? Is that is that a good place to start? I think anything with high fat's a good a good place to start. Yeah. All right. So like different butters is really a great kind yeah. of thing. Good. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited. Like I'm really, really excited. Like this is this is like this is some restaurant shit, you know? Like yeah. I'm 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 a little out of my league, but I'm gonna give it a go. Speaking of giving it a go, uh after Jen's team, the red it was the blue team blue team. Blue team, blue team wins the quick fire. Padma gives him a little bit of game theory here or a little bit of a a strategy here she says you guys win ten thousand dollars to split amongst yourselves or you can essentially double it or nothing and 
basically everyone gets a ten thousand dollar. No, it's prize. quadruple it or nothing. Quadruple right? or nothing. Quadruple or nothing. Everyone gets ten thousand dollars each if you win the elimination challenge. Your thoughts on their decision to let it ride, Tom? You know as well as I do. Easy choice, unless you think you're less than a twenty five percent favorite. If you're even money, it's an easy choice. If you're a dog, two to one dog, it's an easy choice, right? Am I? Am I? You're better at this than I am. Is that? Is that? Am I right here? If if I'm looking at the Voltaggio brothers, the map gets a little bit interesting here. Oh come on, you, it, it's still Kevin and Jen, and like you know, no, I, yeah. I, I'm I'm sorry, man. Like like they're not. You think they're a four to one on dog? No, no. I just I'm just saying it's not it's not all else equal when you're looking at, on the other side and there's you know, Babe Ruth and, and Lou Gehrig on the other yeah, side. I mean, yeah, Kevin's, yeah. Kevin's been cooking his ass off. She's really good. I'm, I'm sorry. There are three and a half point, like in, in the, in the, in, in the context of NBA, that's a morning line. I look at that's a three, three and a half point spread. That yes. is not, that's like Raptors tomorrow night. I, I've been watching most of the season. And obviously I know we know, obviously some of the, the Voltage brothers have a little bit of a reputation since, but I see that as an even money bet. Like, not, you know, the, the odds are a stack in the favor. Right? It's an even money bet paying our four to one. Because, I, I mean, you have the benefit of saying, oh, shit, we work really well together. They don't. Um, and I think ultimately the things that, I mean, again, we'll get to it, but the things that let them down was not so much the things where the Vitaggio brothers would sing, right, in terms of food and flavors. I think they got let down in other areas. I see it as an even money bet. Yeah. Yeah. They, so they decide, Jen decides, Hey, let's all, let's all just parlay it into the next round. Um, and they get to do restaurant wars, but the weird restaurant wars, wars wrinkle here. It's a lot of sounds. Restaurant wars wrinkle here is that Padma says there's no decor. There's no, any of that. We're just going to go come up with a, a, a restaurant name, come up with who's doing what front of house, sous chef, uh, you know, executive chef, and you're going to have two separate restaurants. You're not going to design the restaurants. You actually are just going to take RM Seafood, which is, uh, uh, what's his name? Rick Moonen's restaurant in Las Vegas. I have never been there. Hershey, Kevin, have you been to that restaurant? RM I avoid Vegas. Okay. So, <laughs> so it's RM Seafood. There's an upstairs kitchen, a downstairs kitchen, I was a little disappointed. Got to be honest, disappointed that there wasn't going to be like decor and all that other stuff. But uh, Hershey, right off the bat, what were your thoughts about the challenge itself? Okay, so uh, first of all, off the bat, like as a preamble, and I don't know if you've discussed this in previous pods, but what's interesting, and it wasn't in this episode, it was in one of the lead up episodes, where I think Padma said something like, you know, I think it was the one where they had to cook for the chefs. And she was saying, you know, in these financial downturn times, you know, Folks are cooking at home, so to a dinner party. And I actually thought that was a really interesting analog where we have a financial downturn at the moment that's very different to that one. But I think what was interesting was we in the industry, especially those of us that consult, had a lot of conversations in 2008, 9, and 10 around, okay, these are the things that are different that we're never going to do again. And a bunch of folks did do those things again, and a bunch of those folks are in a lot of trouble now with this financial downturn, which admittedly is much, much, much worse. So I actually thought that analog is really interesting to kind of look at it as a time where folks are kind of looking at restaurants differently already then about downsizing and, and using different cuts and those sort of things, which are the conversations we had in, in 9 and 10. Um, and so off the cuff, the first thing that jumps out at me is I forgot how into one word name, one, one word name restaurants we were in 2009 and 2010. I've blocked that out of my memory. 
So as someone who is extremely guilty of participating in that trend, I have blocked that in my memory. But I can tell you off the top that Revolt is probably the worst restaurant name <laughs> I've seen. Forget about in my career, in my 40 years on this planet. And that includes a, a several uh, kosher restaurants in Melbourne, Australia that are terrible names. They are no longer the worst names I've ever seen in my it life. It would be like well, calling a, a kosher restaurant Trafe. Well, there's a restaurant called Trafe in the East Village now. Oh, that's uh, hilarious. Hershey, I want to ask you, I'm kind of torn about this. And you're someone in our conversations, like decor and environment is, is important. And, and that's, that's part of a substantial part of your grade as a restaurateur. So I felt, and look, this is before Restaurant Wars, Tom became like branded as Restaurant Wars, this thing that gets over two episodes sometimes. But I do feel like I missed that component. I mean, Hershey, it's a, it's a hugely important component. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to ask me, I think it's actually arguably the most important component. Which is uh, like what it feels like, what it looks like. and Atmosphere and vibe is everything, especially for a sit-down restaurant. It's even more important than the food. I mean, it, there will be restaurants in both of where both of you live that are packed every Friday and Saturday night where the food is meh, but it looks good and it feels good. That's why it's packed, right? So uh, it is an extremely important thing. But, I mean, you can take it the other way. I, I think it took away some of the drama from the show, but it gave them an extraordinary advantage of where, okay, it, it's not just the food. and it, Sorry, it's not just the atmosphere. They also got staff that had worked in those venues and knew how to work and were professional waiters. So, to me... The service, that was my first thought. My first thought was, you know, we've done a few of these and I've mentioned before, oh my gosh, these poor, you know, people having to run a restaurant with folks who don't know what they're doing. To me, the service needed to be perfect in there because you had professional waiters who had, I don't know, let's say months, years of experience in those restaurants. But doesn't so much of it require understanding how the kitchen and the firing and all that, the system, don't the servers require like, uh, a confidence in the management there of how the system works. And so you kind of are building from scratch there. Yes and no, because the staff, are, a lot of what the staff do is automatic. So even though there would have been, okay, this is how we want to do it. There would have been staff. there saying, no, no, but this is, uh, we usually come in now. We usually run this. This is where stuff goes. This is where stuff gets clean. This is how we reset automatic. And so they could have almost trained and led the, the, the atmosphere in there. They're, I mean, if let me put it to you this way, if you're running, and that's a substantial restaurant, both of them. But if you're running even a halfway decent restaurant and it lives and dies on the manager being there and holding it together every night, something's gone very, very, very wrong, right? So, you know, you know, the basketball analog is, you know, my team, the Spurs, the head coach is getting on a little bit and every now and then he likes to put Becky or Timmy in charge. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Spurs don't fall apart when, when Tim Duncan or Becky Hammond are in charge. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I, I think that the, we'll come to it in a second. The, 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 I think the service fell down on both places, but I think the team that lost made some terrible mistakes. But yeah, in terms of the names, the revolt is was just horrible, horrible, horrible name. And I think what would have been fun to have seen how they acted out the name Revolt when if they would have had to do decor because I think they would have taken a terrible decision and made it even worse. No, so, no, no. You could have done those cool agitprop if the 20th century kind of Maoists and communists did anything. But I was just going right? to say. Those, it, those posters are cool. Like they did yeah, graphic design well. It would have looked like a Soviet era restaurant with right. like Vaulty. Yeah, Remember that bar in the, oh God, y'all are too. Melons. There was this Melons. great bar called KGB. Yeah, and it was like a place in the 90s that I went a fair amount. But even like 10 years ago, there was a spot on Melrose called Mao's Kitchen that had a lot of Chinese-era communist stuff, which I don't think it's any longer with us, unfortunately. 
two two decisions off the top that I wanted to ask you about. Um, Jen, they decided to go with Mission, the name Mission, whatever. It's 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 a name. Um, but she replacement, decide, totally fine, right? Yeah, it's yeah. replacement level name. Um, she decides she doesn't want to do dessert, or the, the group decides oh. they, they don't want to do dessert. So three courses. The challenge is three courses. Um, and Jen comes up with the idea, and I, I forgot to look at the analytics of this, whether uh, it's true or not, but presumably through season six, a lot of people were sent home for their desserts on restaurant wars. I'm going to take Jen uh, for her word on that one. But what did you think about that, Hershey? Okay, so again, to give a basketball analogy, what's interesting is every single team that has lost the NBA finals has had a head coach. So if you're going to say that the solution to not lose a head NBA finals is to not have a head coach, that's mad. So that'd be, I think that that's a causation, a question between, you know, signal and noise, causation and correlation. I think that you're running a restaurant and I think that you have a set menu. And I think that there wouldn't be a single person on earth who wore, even folks who don't like dessert, right? Like I know Kevin doesn't particularly like a sweeter dessert. If you walked into a restaurant that was a set menu and they were like, yeah, we're going to finish steak. It's going to be the last course. Everyone already feels uncomfortable. It's, that's not, that doesn't feel right. So I think that that's a huge mistake. I think if folks are getting in trouble and getting called out for terrible desserts, the solution is not to have no dessert. The solution is, okay, strip back the dessert, make it simple and make it executable. And then say, look, at least we did a dessert. It didn't win us any friends, but at least we finished with the dessert. So I think to me, starting off with not doing dessert, if I was a judge, it would already make it really, really hard for me to allow you to win. Like another team would actually have to mess up for you to win. The other thing I don't like about it is this is a cooking show. And yes, we've spoken about this before, that not all head chefs are excellent with desserts, but you have to have some skills. And I think that those four chefs are announcing to the judges, we do not believe in our ability to execute dessert. And I think that that might bite them in the butt come, you know, throughout the season. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the counter argument, and, and, you know, is that, I mean, personally, if I'm going for three courses, I love the idea of having app seafood beef like i like the truth of the matter is is as a menu for forget execution i'd much prefer to be at that uh, at the non-dessert meal like i interested you don't need to give me a friggin' pear tart like give me give me and again i don't eat meat right now but like give me the you know the the, the appetizer the fish the beef you know and that's that's just for a beef, beefy dinner i'm like you know what? I, I need a little i need a little uh little sugar to to, to to finish off the night. Like I, I kind of, I'm kind of uh, craving that a little bit after a beef. Then give me a fourth course. You know what I'm saying? Like, like then, then the, I mean, this is what the judge, and if, you know, at the judge's table, I would say, you gave us three courses. You give us a fourth course, you got a what and dessert. I'm not going to dedicate a third of the meal to what can be accomplished by an Andy's candy. Well, let me ask it this way, because it's still a restaurant experience, right? So for you, that would have been fine. And, you know, I know that you don't like, but, you know, in that wonderful picture behind Tom, we can see, you know, there's you with Eric and Tom and Tom's wife. So when you went, there was four of you, right? So even if you would be okay, the other three might be there going, that's a bit weird and it's uncomfortable. And now suddenly your night's not pleasurable because the other three people with legitimately are saying, this is a bit the way this is ended without dessert it would affect Screw the them. quality we'll go to we'll go to straw and straw <laughs> on the way out like down the street <laughs> like, like yeah. look at the end of the day every single restaurant called mission has an artisanal ice cream place within three blocks so yeah i know i'm gonna die on this hill i get it i get it. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little shtick here but i my point is is i don't have any real objections and the truth is is i think i if i'm going out to eat i'm going out to eat you okay. know if i want to go ice cream you put the kids in the station wagon you go to the freaking dairy queen 
Okay, so if if that decision doesn't if that decision doesn't get them off on the wrong foot, maybe this one will. Laureen as the front of house. Hey, listener, it's your favorite Butcher Turn podcast producer May is here to talk to you about Butcher Box. A not so wise man once said, "It's not that hard. Just chop, chop." Who knew that he was talking about pork chops from Butcher Box? It's not that hard. It's easy to get high quality meat and seafood you can trust delivered right to your doorstep. Free shipping always. A variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. You get exactly what you need. Premium ingredients for your meals to feed your family. I know how it is. You go to the grocery store. You're stressed. You got a lot of food to get. And then you got to wait in line at the butcher counter. Maybe your butcher is a tall man with an attitude. I don't know. I've never experienced that, but maybe it happened to you. That's why I love Butcher Box. You've always got meat in the freezer or in the fridge. You're ready to cook at any time, and you're not going to find such high quality at such low prices anywhere else. So sign up for Butcher Box today by going to butcherbox.com/dings, D-I-N-G-S, and use code Dings at checkout to enjoy your choice of bone-in chicken thighs, top sirloins, or salmon in every box for an entire year, plus $20 off. Again, that is butcherbox.com slash dings, and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S. Chop, chop! We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Look, that was... This is the thing that can't be said, right? You're the weakest chef among us. Get out there. And and that's the thing they don't want to say. You know, it's one thing if you have a person who's enthusiastic about it. Remember, um, you know, what's his name? You know, from uh, the hammy guy. Uh, Joe Flynn. Joe Flynn. No, 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 no. From, from last season. Oh, uh, San Diego uh, and Gazillionaire. Yeah, Malarkey. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm senile. Uh, you know, that guy lives for that. Eli had a real yen for it. Yeah. At the end of the day, what could not be said is, hey, you're a nice person. You're clearly the least skilled chef. Get out there. And that's what they wanted to say and couldn't say because they're also all three. Well, not Isabella, but uh, they're I all. Thought three. Isabella was perfect for front. No, of no, no, no. My point is, is they're all three really nice people, except Isabella isn't all that nice. But you know. Yeah, I, I thought he, but as in terms of like being a class clown or someone who can like wow the the judges' table and keep them busy, like I felt like Isabella would have been the logical pick for front of house and Maureen. Lorene, even though she was running a catering company. Do you want to meet that guy at the maitre d' stand? No, but not Lorene either. It's like, she, like, do I want to meet like a most- sports talk radio on WFAN host? <laughs> like, I mean, that's basically <laughs> the temperament and comportment of this guy, right? Like, no disrespect to Isabella. I don't want to meet that guy at the front of the house. Okay, all right. Put 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 aside my comment about Isabel. Lorene, no, though, like, like he's working Lo- the counter at Zaybars for God's sakes. Lorene was wow. putting people to sleep. Wow. Lorene had so little energy and like, and she also didn't have the temperament to like keep the judges happy and distracted when things weren't going well. Um, I thought it was a horrific pick for front of They didn't know that though, probably. Yeah. Yeah. They've been living with her for weeks. I look, I don't, I'm again, I only watched the two two episodes leading up. 
be more indicative of her, but my read on it was, and we have all had nights like this, but that the, the, the mistake was made by the kitchen, right? Them deciding to courses on their own for professional chefs to allow to happen. I think, not I think, I've seen that deer in the headlights look before and that's, oh shit, the ship is going down. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I'm going to go and hide. So what should, like there's two kinds of people, right? There's people that run towards chaos and people that run fight or flight, right? And so in retrospect, if you knew the ship was going to go down, you needed to pick someone who was more likely to be okay to, to take the fight instead of the flight option. But I do think in retrospect, if they were thinking everything was going to be fine, I do think she was a good choice. I just don't, yeah. Hershey, how much of a detriment was Jen Carroll steaming the clams and mussels to order? I, I don't even understand it. None of it makes any sense to me. None of it makes the sense. I mean, they didn't even talk about it, but they, they kept showing it. She's portioning fish to order. What is happening? I've never seen that in my life. Like, you know how she had like there and she was put these like dirty offcuts stuck on her board and she kept like portion. I've never seen that in my life. So like, I don't know what that was about. In my mind, I think that was about because they said, oh, you know, it looked like she was portioning fish and then folks started coming into the restaurant and she ran out of time. I don't know. Again, uh, to me, the portioning of the fish would be one of the very first things that you do because you want to get it into the fridge so that it's cooled down and it retains you know, texture. But yeah, that was all of it was very, very strange to me. And I think it might have been a decision based upon her running out of time, her not getting on Mizon Plus ready in time. Okay, so she doesn't decide to, you know, portion it out beforehand, uh, doesn't do the mise en place. But um, is that, was her fault that she was too confident in her abilities? Because she said earlier um, in the interview, I think with Kalikia, that she said, I feel like I'm superwoman, so I'm going to do, I'm going to do a lot here. Right, Um, but I I think she was being self-deprecating. I think that was her way, Tom, of saying I'm an idiot who thought I could do everything and I'm superwoman. I, I, I took that as sort of a, a, a sarcastic self-deprecating comment, which is it was too late to re-strategize. True. She, you know, you know, it, it's me saying, Oh God, you know, why did I do that? Cause I'm a genius. Like I, I thought, I thought that was sort of, that was my interpretation at least. Yeah. I mean, even I want to pull up on that because I mean, it depends on what time of the day it was, but I would imagine that a couple of hours, I, I still think you always have time. Until you look like they were doing a lineup there last second, right? That they were going through the food with the servers literally last second while people were there, which means the menus would have been printed last second. So I think that you, you, it's never too late. We, I mean, in restaurants, doesn't matter Michelin star or down to bottom, we take dishes off the menu five minutes before lineup. You know what I mean? Like it's no for us. If it's not ready, it's not ready. And I don't mean take it off. I mean there's stuff they could have done when they've said okay, this is too much. I haven't done enough. My prep wasn't ready. I'm going to put my hand up now and say, look, this dish is not going to be a spectacular, but we're going to get stuff out not 40 minutes between courses. Jen is so good like that. It was so surprising to see her struggle here, right, Kevin? Yeah, it really was. And, and I think, but again, it was, it was I, I, at least it seemed to me, and her, she said it just, I mean, that decision was just, it just took too much time. I, I want to move on to the lamb, Tom. Yeah. Uh, and I, and, you know, at the judge's table, I really got the sense that Kevin felt terrible. Like he knew he did Laureen wrong. Um, and I, I don't know what happened with the prep. He's so good with protein and meat. Yep. Like he's so good. Um, 
I, I mean, Hershey, what do you, what do you sense happened with that, that rare? It, it felt, I, I'll tell, I mean, I was, I mean, it's, to me, it seemed pretty obvious what happened. So I, and I, I don't know why he did, it was good of him not to mention it, but like every oven is different, right? So he would have been cooking that, searing it off in the pan and then finish it off in an oven, whether that be a combi or, or the under oven. And I just, don't think he cooked a bunch of them before service to get a feel for that oven. I mean, there's no other way to, to, yeah. to do it, right? We've all moved into new houses or bought new appliances. You've got to cook a few times. It's no different in a restaurant. So I think, again, it was time. I don't think he spent enough time. Having said that, they, it looked like they served, you know, 15, 20 tables there. I would imagine after four or five, he would have got better at it. So I don't really know what happened after that. That food should not have gone out. Like, t- there's no... It's it's not a health and safety issue. Like that's okay with lamb. You're allowed to serve it at that level. Um, but uh, I will say that uh, you you cannot put raw meat out like that. So chewing gum. Oh, what a surprise! Yeah, isn't that wow. <laughs> we uh we got Jen on the line here. Um, this was a surprise. I, I surprised Kevin and Hershey. Jen, how are you? I got a I had a error message of a problem problem with the audio, and I had to restart. So. <laughs> All good. We were just talking about uh, your, um, it wasn't your best performance, but it was a restaurant wars that, uh, let's just say, let's just say we, we wanted to know more about your decision to cook to order. Chef, did you run out of time on your mise-en? Is that what happened? On your mise-en place? Uh, yeah. So what you all don't know, what you ha- didn't see was the behind the scenes of our kitchen. You know, when, when I picked the kitchen upstairs, I thought it was the better kitchen, but little did we know that all of the equipment was pretty much faulty and not working properly. So while my prep and cook, I had two guys like underneath on the floor in the kitchen trying to fix the ovens and the mise en So... Uh, chef, I'm sure you have you have had that before when you're in the middle of service and trying to work over top of people. It's not the most ideal. So that oh. led into a lot of different issues. But can I ask when did when did that happen? That from the get go, you couldn't get it at the equipment properly. No, it was working. It was working. One of them wouldn't go on, and then like the gas wasn't hooked up properly, and then it was going on and off, on and off, and then it was fixed, and then it would go off, and so it was basically throughout the entire thing. So we thought we would be we were good, and then it would shut down again. Oh, you have it, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any thoughts about changing menus at all? At that point, no. <laughs> that point, you're just in it, and you don't really there's to make a decision to move. I think. We probably would have ended up in the same place we ended up. <laughs> By the way, Jen, I wanted to say, and it's become a theme, the extent to which you have no desire to engage Tom in the kitchen during prep is hilarious. <laughs> like, it's one of my favorite running gags in the show. Yeah, he. I see him coming. I'm like, mm, no, <laughs> I have nothing to say to you. Just, I am busy. <laughs> You're like Ron Livingston in office space, like avoiding... Um, Gary Cole. Any any um, sort of discussions with management. Like Lumberger is coming by your cubicle and asking you to work weekends, and don't want to like talk. Don't want. It. Please, please move along. Um, hey, chef, thanks so much for joining us here, and in such short notice, we we um, we this restaurant wars was different because you di- you didn't have to do any of the decor, you mm-hmm. didn't have to do too much of the kind of atmosphere. Um. Was that uh, a detriment, do you think? Do you think you would have liked to have been able to do that? Or do you think it's just, uh, let me focus on the food? I was fine without doing any of it. And it was just more about the food than about the entire atmosphere. Um, 
because that is a whole nother project in itself. And they don't really give you any much more time what I've seen with future restaurant wars to do design, build, concept, everything. So this was definitely an easier restaurant wars than what they have morphed it into for sure. Unfortunately, I know this feeling, but you can maybe describe this feeling for, for, those, for those listening. That feeling of where the ship has sunk, past tense, and you look mm-hmm. up and there's still tickets on the board. Yeah, I think definitely all of us had that feeling. And we were just like, it, it just like, the, it kept like mounting up and mounting up. And we were just like, oh my God, how, how, do we, how do we escape? And you just kind of want it to be over because everything just starts to go wrong. And there was nothing that was saving, <laughs> saving us. Yeah, I, like I know for me, it's the feeling of somehow things moving really fast and at slow motion at the exact same time. Yeah, now add on a couple million people watching. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Uh, we had a few questions here. Uh, did you know it was black cod, but you mistakenly called it trout? Or did you honestly think it was trout and then you called it black cod? No, I definitely I definitely knew that I made the mistake and I was like, fuck, did I, why did I just say that? <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, I mean, you say things under pressure, and you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> was that fun to do, was that blindfold? Was it fun to do? The, I'm like... The quick fire uh, blindfold where you had to do a tag team, or was that just, like, way too stressful? It was definitely stressful, but it, it was kind of... It was fun to do, but, I mean, we just were... Thank God we were all on the same page, and we were just tasting things and trying to bring it all together, but, it, I mean everybody has completely different styles. So we got, we got a good dish. <laughs> I was going to ask, cause I guess we'll talk about this a little bit. It felt to me like the thing that went wrong other than this equipment thing that I guess we're learning about now. And I actually think there was a cutaway of two guys underneath an oven at one point now that I think about it. But um, that decision that ultimately ended up with everyone working on one course at a time, like each chef, knocking at it what happened there yeah so i think we all just wanted ownership of our own dishes and instead of having a collaboration like you should in a kitchen i think we just all kind of went in instead of being a full team just went with each person doing their own thing instead of helping each other out because the tickets you know the tickets are coming in like one by one so you do have you know first course um, something second course on on different tables so it's not like hey it's not banquet style where you're putting up 10 dishes 10 dishes 10 dishes 10 dishes you know so in a sense we all had to be working by ourselves to a point right but then obviously once you got weeded as we like to say on a call once someone got weeded on a course that's it like that course there was no way out yeah at the end at the judges table you were uh once again, in the stew room, you were pretty emotional when Laureen got sent home. And then afterwards, Kevin said he didn't even want to talk because he was so angry. Um, can you kind of put, put us behind the scenes a little bit on what the emotions were like for you up on judges table and seeing Laureen go home? And, and what was Kevin so angry about, Tina? For us, it, w- it was emotional because we all found failures in what we did ourselves. We all thought we failed in some sort of way. So it's always hard to see like a teammate go home and it's all, it's usually like, okay, the front of the house is the scapegoat in sort of a sense. Like that's kind of how it goes with restaurant wars. So I know Kevin felt really bad because he was the one executing Lorene's dish a little bit more than anybody else. And there were mistakes across the board. There were mistakes from me. There were mistakes from Kevin. There were mistakes from Lorene and it led to the entire thing 
falling down. So I know Kevin was really upset because he thought that he should have gone home because he thought he had more mistakes than anybody. And he thought it was, and he thought it was his fault for everything. And he felt like Lorene was the scapegoat. So that's why he was really angry. And he actually almost took himself out of the competition. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was, I mean, it's, it's a mind game. It's just, it's just, it's a really hard, it's, it's besides cooking, it's just very emotional and stressful. And, you know, you learn to love everybody that you're there with and you're like working together and to see somebody go home on like something that was not fully their fault is, is really, uh, is really hard. By the way, I still, I'm such a, I'm generally not a conspiracy theorist, like in real life. I'm sorry. This is like, this is a real restaurant in a real hotel. I, I know what Kevin. I don't believe this. all these technical. It's always something. This is a cooking show. You're telling me they don't vet the freaking equipment. Like I know, Jen. You don't have to answer this question because I mean, you were you were a friend of the show. But mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry. I'm just for the record. It's all fishy. The electricity <laughs> coming out. I'm not talking about the home stuff where there aren't enough outlets and there's shorts. I'm talking about they walk into these Vegas restaurants that are palaces that have like gymnasts grabbing wine bottles. They can do that, but they can't freaking have an oven that works. I'm sorry. Don't buy. I don't know. I've been in a lot of really nice kitchens with really shitty equipment. Okay, okay, okay. A lot of equipment that just gets banged up and is not taken care of and not maintained. So, I was, I was about to say the same thing. I was about to say, Chef, how long have you worked in kitchens? It, the, the, Chef, wait, Laverne, are done. Like, stuff goes down at uh-huh. Saturday night at 7.45, that's when it happens. Yeah. And it don't matter if you've got one or three Michelin star shit goes down i am proven wrong i need to tell you the best fed person in any restaurant on planet earth is the dude that is willing to come in on a saturday night at 45 every consultant i have i have phone numbers of of six or seven cities in this country alone where i can call and this dude will come in and we'll put this stuff together and that dude gets fed better than anyone on planet earth this is like harvey Keitel in pulp fiction of restaurants yeah winston wolf Stuff goes down. You should you should try operating in the wonderful city that is New Orleans, where every like the power will just go off inexplicably. Like you know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Hey Jen, uh, I know you got to run, but I ha- want to ask um, the decision to not do a dessert. Do you regret that decision? Oh, good question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not a complete meal. We we were stupid. We were not fully thinking we just all wanted to do what we wanted to do and weren't collaborating as a team as a restaurant should have so yeah we were young we were flighty we were naive (laughs) yes yeah um any other last thoughts about restaurant wars this 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 year you've been a part of how many restaurant wars is this just the one because this one yeah so i I mean did you think you were going home I had no idea. I, I honestly had no idea. I thought there was a very good chance of it go, of me going home. So mm. I think we all did. So I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> I'm glad you survived because we we gotta we gotta bring you back on the show uh, for for more than 10 15 minutes uh, to yes. recap stuff. So thank you so much for coming. Can I jump in just one question? Oh. What are you up to in the lockdown? Well, tell us like what's going on. 
Um, so I've been doing a lot of virtual stuff. I've been doing a lot of online like classes and cookings and like corporate demos, hangouts, a lot of Zoom stuff. I am just starting to do dinners in like people's houses again. So really small, intimate dinners in people's houses with my culinary um, experience company. I'm on Patreon. So if anyone wants to follow me there, you can go on Patreon and follow and subscribe there. I'm just getting ready to open up Spice Finch for Indoor Dining, which is my restaurant in Philadelphia. But we've been doing takeout and delivery there. And we're just getting geared up to go inside. So Good. hustling, trying to trying to make it through. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. I'll see you all later. I like it. The, 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 the actual first person analysis. And I like being proven wrong. Like I, who knew I I just like the incidents in this show are just always just peak drama. And you have to appreciate my, 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 my feeling, but I, I, I now am standing corrected. Yeah. I think, I think if they had played it up more on the show, I would believe you, Kevin, like if it was a conspiracy and they were like, you know, pulling strings behind to like pull out the the power into the oven, they would have played that a lot more, but because it was an honest mistake, they edited it out. They scrubbed it from the show to try to, because I think that's an admission that like we screwed up here. We don't want to put that on Jen. By the way, from a, from a competitive fairness standpoint, it's really rough. Like, like, and you could argue, okay, it was distributed at random. It could have been either team. You deal with it. It's sort of like having an injured player. Um, you just have to kind of circle the wagons. But I have to say, from a competitive fairness standpoint, it's really hard to say this team wasn't at a massive disadvantage unless similar things were afflicting the red team. Possibly. I mean, I, I don't think they recovered from very well. I mean, I, I think, per the point, right, I, I think they sent home the person who could have done the most to recover from it. I think, you know, they were saying Lauren got stuck you know, during the headlights. And I think the best stuff that she could have done would be more to use, what was the term they used about Eli? Intense. She could have been a little bit more intense in her sort of delivery um, and approach on the floor. But, yeah, I mean, possibly. It happens, Kevin. Kevin, it happens. I've had the power, the power, the light. We were cooking with gas in a full restaurant on the Saturday night at 7.45 and the power go out and we closed out the rest of the night on candlelights with foam torches, making sure that stuff was cooked properly on the grill. So, um, was this in Pasadena? This was actually in, uh, in, in Windsor in Melbourne in Australia. Ah. Up on Dante. The lucky thing was we had a, a restaurant that had no menu, so it didn't matter. We could just like, this is what you're getting. They didn't okay. know any better. But still, you know, it still was intense, yeah. Tom, you wanted to talk about Eli's sartorial choice? Yes. Uh, so Eli, <laughs> Eli comes in. Uh, yeah, we haven't even talked about the other team yet. So Eli is chosen to be the front of the house. And he's just, he's such, he, he seems like he's the drummer for like Linkin Park or something like that. Like he, he just comes off a very 2009 guy with his untucked shirt. Hey, do you, do you remember that, Tom? The untucked shirt with uh, the blazer. And by yeah. the way, looks terrible on short men. Yeah. And yet he kind of embraced it. I just, that, that trend, you knew that was going to be one we'd look back on fairly soon with this day. Yes. And it was so delightful just to see him do it. Like, Hey, do you think this, do you think this works? And, and in 2020, if someone does that, you're like, no, go back into the dressing room and put some other shit on. But in this, it was an, it was a genuine, like, Hey, do you think I'd look okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you look fine. Untucked looks good. Um, and he nails it. The front of the front of house, he does a really good job. And he's he's the youngest one there. Um, he 
works in a restaurant, but I don't think he does a lot of front of house, but he did a really good job. Yeah, I thought it was excellent. I will say, I mean, here's a word because I know you'll uh, like a little. This is a word that Kevin and I would have heard a lot growing up, which is schloch, which is a Yiddish term for just what Eli looked like, messy, schloch, and that is what he looked like. But, yeah, I thought he nailed it. I thought he was intense. I thought he was, you know, that was a good word. He was engaged. He was involved. Uh, you know, th- people just want to know what's going on in life, right? Like if you're on hold with AT&T, if they check in a minutes or one minute, you feel better. It's the same thing. People just want to feel involved, and, and I thought it was good. I liked the line of where I finally came, and Padma said, I think it was, oh, it's taken a bit of a while. He was like, yeah, it's almost like it's our first night. And I thought that was excellent. Just, like, have a bit of fun with it. So, yeah, I, I, thought, he, I thought he did an excellent job, all things considered, other than obviously the way he looked was not excellent. Tom, Kevin, we saw a little um, dickishness yeah. from Michael Voltaggio, really for the first time on an acute level. Really, I was siding with Robin here. Yep. You don't put your hands on my dish. That's more disrespectful than dropping an F-bomb to another chef. That's more uh, unprofessional um, than that, right? Yeah, and, and here's the other thing. Telling someone to relax in that situation who himself isn't relaxed, it's one of the most ingenious rhetorical weapons in any stage of life because by definition, the response to relax is going to confirm the charge, right? Okay. Um, it's sort of like, like when people call women emotional, like the response is generally going to confirm the charge and for obvious reasons. And telling someone to relax is exactly is that because the minute they respond, they're confirming your charge. And I, I think the other thing about it is, I don't know, like the kitchen, like people can use the F word. I, I thought he really, it was a control freak thing, right? He didn't trust her. As it turned out, I mean, we didn't eat it, right? The judges ate the, the petivier. They said they loved it. They thought it was the best thing she cooked. So he was well over his oars, right? And I, th- I just think that was a control freak thing. And actually, I was kind of impressed that she stood up to him and said, no, go away. Yeah, this is my, this is my shit. Go away. And I think if you look at it closely, I think his brother knew that he fucked up using the F word. And because his brother was kind of like, go to your, like his brother was like sending him away. Go, go away. And yeah, I, I you know, this, a leader is not a control freak. I don't think he did a very good job of leading there. Yeah. By the way, he cooked some damn good food. That pressed chicken and the calamari noodles. They loved the cod with the zucchini tenderloin, which is kind of a fascinating concept, Hershey. Yeah, I uh, I would have. I mean, I don't have you. Have, I don't know if I've ever eaten his food. Have you ever eaten his food? No. Uh, his yeah. brothers. Or no, no, I have eaten his food. And yeah, Michael. Yeah. Did you ever go to Ink, or was that after your time? No, I didn't go to Ink, but it's, it wasn't after my time, but it wasn't. Was that, the one in Pasadena, is that the one? No, 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 it's on, uh, it was on uh, Beverly and like Orlando. Okay, no, I never made it there. I think they held it together because, honestly, I think their food came out in pretty decent time. I, I really felt like that's what it came down to, and, yeah, I mean, that's, that's sad, you know, that I guess now that we have a little bit more perspective that they were challenged by their ovens, but, uh, you know, their equipment. It would have been to find a way to recover from that. By the way, very 2009, Sunchoke Puree. Don't talk to me about Sunchoke Puree. Sunchoke Puree, very 2009. If you put scallops, very 2003, with like that crispy little bit of like bacon, you know what I'm talking about, like pancetta over the top. Or if you put in a little demi-tasse as your amuse-bouche, it's very 1999. 
Did you catch the whole, did you catch the whole like Michael Voltaggio saying, you know why I have to do the four? Um, what was it? What was the dish that I think Brian screwed up and Michael was mad and he's like, you know why I have to do this again? Yeah, because I, that they exploded. Yeah, that's right. And I'm going to have to do it again. No, I'm going to do it. Like Mike. Was the duo beef? Yeah, the duo beef. They call it like Comeskis or something like that. I, I, I don't know. I, so, so, uh, so Michael Voltaggio was biting people's heads off left and right in the back. And I guess we could have seen that coming just because, you know, Michael Voltaggio is Michael Voltaggio. He says, people mistake uh, my confidence for arrogance. Now, in those situations, I feel like that's, that's arrogance. Or, or, you know, what he did to, what he did to uh, Robin, I think, was purely about he didn't trust her. And yeah. when she swore or cussed at him, it gave him the out of like, that's why I'm mad. But that's not why he was mad. What he was mad about is that he had Robin on his team and he didn't want Robin on his team because he didn't trust Robin. So um, I sided with her and all of this stuff in the back didn't seem to matter because out in the front, the judges love their meal. I think they love their meal. And I think also, listen, we spoke before about that they were under the pump as in they didn't get their meals on plus, their prep ready. It sounds like, you know, to all of their credits, really, they all did dishes that required a lot of getting ready. Like, if you think about pressed press chicken and pressed calamari, that's all in the mizom, that's all in the, the work during the day. And I think they loaded up their work during the day so that they were essentially just firing and, and cooking at night. And I think that helped them as opposed to, you know, what happened with the other team. You know, there could have been ways, for example, with that lamb. And again, we don't know if this was uh, this came down to the equipment, but you could have, there's, there are other ways to cook the lamb so that you're not cooking it. Raw to order, from raw to order. Right? Mm-hmm. There are ways of braising the lamb and put it on a fire. So that's, that was also probably mistakes, I think. Kevin, so they, um, so Michael Voltaggio wins and he decides to divvy up the winning prize to the rest of his teammates. And Brian Voltaggio says, oh. F that. I don't want my share. And Mike says, Why? What, what's wrong? And he's, he's just like, You know what? Um, I think unprofessional behavior should not be rewarded. What'd you think about that? I mean, look, I, I, I appreciate that he wants to take a stand against his brother's behavior. I don't quite understand the logic because actually you're giving him back $2,500. <laughs> so you are kind of rewarding him unless the punishment is the knowledge that he was such a that Brian thought he was such a dick that he's willing to kind of forego the money, which I guess is a punishment, kind of a psychic punishment. But um you know, I mean, all power to him. I mean, there's a certain nobility to that. Uh, clearly, I mean, it's such an interesting relationship to observe, uh, especially given sort of our, our recent conversation with Ash that, you know, the two of them tend to isolate themselves among I, something I didn't realize. And now when you kind of go back and look that they're kind of in their own world uh, amongst the cast, it does start to really make sense. Yeah. Hershey, what what are your thoughts on Michael winning this episode? Obviously, the, uh, the the dishes he cooked are very well, but do you think Brian has a point here that he didn't deserve to be the winner, quote unquote? I don't know. Who, I mean, other than Eli, who, right? Because his brother didn't. His brother's food didn't go very well. Well, desserts are good, but you're never gonna. You know, I mean, I'm a dessert freak, but you, you're never gonna win it with desserts. I don't think. I think probably he was the most deserving, if I'm going to be honest. And I think, you know. Again, it's the way it's edited. I don't, I mean, this is a big conversation that we're having in the industry now with a lot of the things that have been going on with the changes in our communities and our societies that you don't have to be a dick to make stuff work. 
there's a double-edged sword to it. There's a reason why there are a lot of chefs that act like that, and that's because it does, on some level, get some results. Now, there are other ways to get results without doing it. I'm just saying they would have shown the, the elements of it that had this really big blob because that's good television. But there would have been elements of it as well, of him in there in that kitchen driving things along that he probably did deserve credit for, if I'm going to be honest. So, no, I think he's the deserving winner of, of, of this. Him, uh, Eli, I think, is a close second. Is there uh, anything in this episode uh, that you'd like to mention before we go? Anything that, uh, any notes that you want to get off your chest? Or maybe just, you know, big picture thoughts about restaurant industry at this point in time versus where we are now. I know it's obviously a circumstance, creating a circumstance now. Yeah, I I think a lesson that, uh, I mean, for me anyway, that a lot of us tried to learn in 2008, 2009 was around trying to keep things a little smaller and prices a little lower. And I think what's interesting about that is, you know, they would have been that before that financial shop. I had the casual one upstairs or whatever. It's the fine dining one upstairs, the casual one downstairs. I think what's interesting is we certainly had a 10-year period up until this, this, this shutdown of rewarding chefs like Mr. Voltaggio for their kind of more arrogance or confidence, whatever you want to call it, and their more abrasive kind of nature. Um, and I think it's interesting to see where we go from here. Do we perhaps, instead of like what I just said, he, his abrasiveness would have helped drive that along, right? But there's also, you can also get these with honey. So there would have been other ways to win that. Are we going to see moving forward now that we perhaps reward chefs who don't have that abrasiveness? I don't know. That's an open-ended question. I'd like to see that, if I'm going to be honest. Kevin, do you yeah, have a- I mean, it's such an interesting environment because, um, and, and by the way, this is, I, I'm not offering this as an excuse or, 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 or whatever, but the intensity of a kitchen is like the closest thing I think to like, uh, uh, per last night's Boston Toronto game and the intensity there. Like, it seems like a workplace that almost encourages emotional reactions, immediate reactions, which are generally what produces that behavior you're reacting right like when you have time to consider okay i need to be rational about this there's no reason i need to bite someone's head off that is a reaction and it's it's hard for me to believe that it will ever be now what you said is you can reward and punish but the idea that we'll ever eradicate aggressive communication now by the way that doesn't include sexist homophobic thoroughly abusive but the relaxed, the sort of, I mean, frankly, the, the, the attitude that, that Michael copped that evening, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm incredulous that we'll ever eradicate it. No different than we'll eradicate it on an NBA court. Ain't no different than, frankly, a lot, you know, in political campaigns I've worked on where it's just the intensity produces yelling, you know, screamers to some extent. So, uh, listen, I, I, I'm not, I'm okay with sort of, I'm not so much talking about the ways of communication. I agree. Sometimes you have to deliver things very quickly and efficiently. That is important. I think a lot of what we do, all of us, is on modeling behavior. And so I think there would have been a 16-year-old person who would have watched the show 10 years ago who's now 26 and saying, okay, well, this person won. So, like, this behavior is what I – this is how I have to act. I'm going to be a winner. So I kind of think some of that – like the NBA, you guys know this a million times better than me. Head office – 
doesn't seem to be very good at it. But NBA has to be very, very upset, certain individuals, who yell at the referees for everything and anything. And the reason why they don't like it is because there are six-year-old kids watching who are thinking, this is what I have to do. I have to yell at a referee, right? So, like, my issue is more so the modelling on the behaviour, more so the rewarding. I I, I think that that brusque, quick, instant communication will never go away. I do think, you know... The dickish behavior, if you want to use that term, I, I don't, I don't, we don't need to model that behavior for young people. That's what I think. So, and, and listen, I'm no touchy feely kind of guy. Like you've seen me here, I've been here on this podcast with my espresso cup that's full of rye whiskey. So, like, I'm no kind of like angel over here, I want to be clear. But, like, you know, I think that there is a, not a fine line between, you know, pushing towards hard, towards a goal, and really being, frankly, disrespectful to people. Um, to wrap up, we ha- we always do a where are they and now and uh, Chef Lorene uh, Wicket Hope she um, she is I guess the head of less left sorry left coast catering in San Francisco um, and in a, like an exit interview with TV Guide about this episode she said uh, I, I was misunderstanding this I, I thought this was Top Chef not uh, Top Floor Manager. Um, so she, she was a little bit, uh, bummed out that she got sent home for being, uh, for being front of house. Maybe, I don't know if anyone else should have been voted off. She didn't say that, but she has a very successful, um, catering business in San Francisco. And she said she actually didn't want to be on top chef, but her colleagues or his, her coworkers at the, at the catering business said that she should. And the producers, said that the less interested that she was in her interviews, the more interested they became of her. So the fact that she went into the audition and was like, I don't want to be here. Like playing hard to get? I don't know. So she, she was like, I, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm auditioning for the Top Chef contestant. And they were like, you don't sound interested at all in this. So you know what? You're going to go on the show. And so when she got voted off, you could kind of feel that, you know, it, it wasn't the end of the world. Um, but uh, Laureen, uh, Left Coast Catering in San Francisco. Another thing to note is that RM Seafood is closed as of two years ago. That restaurant um, in Las Vegas, Rick Newton's restaurant, um, has closed in Vegas. And I'm sure he's got an empire somewhere else. Uh, Rick Moonen, I recognized him coming onto the show when he, when he showed up. Um, I, didn't quite under, I didn't quite know what he was known for, which is that he like, kind of started okay. the sustainable seafood movement in America. Um, uh, any other thoughts about Laureen or, or uh, Rick Moon in here before we go? No, nothing really specific. Not. Um, I, you know, I, I went to her site and it, it looks like a lovely catering company. Um, and I imagine they're having a, probably a tough time as well in, in, in any, any business of that capacity. I mean, Hershey, you want to tell us about your project? Um, yeah, I'll give you a little overview. So I uh, came here in, in January to get open, sort of a proof of concept. Um, so really, really simple kind of idea based on the Italian stand-up espresso bars, but with a touch of Texas, which I come in from. So espresso, cold coffees, uh, all sort of stand-up and then grab-and-go tacos. Um, so pre-wrapped, ready-to-go breakfast tacos, really based on the notion of that I just think people in this country don't eat breakfast enough. And I think it's because they have very limited options. I know in Australia, we eat breakfast quite often and there's no reason why 
um, you know, if you come in and grab a coffee and a couple of breakfast tacos, we can get you out under $10. There's no way you could really get a coffee and a breakfast at home for less than that. So we can make this cheaper. It's fresher. It's healthier. And then we pay tribute to some things where I come from, Melbourne, which is a very multicultural city. So our tacos are dressed and flavoured with the soy and vinegar, which are the dumpling sauces that you'd get on a Sunday morning or anytime you go to dumplings, because I just think vinegar with egg is the flavour you want any morning of the week. Uh, and then we came here as an idea, it's called Small Victories. We want to try and see if we can, these are really easy to open. They open in really um, small locations and they're serviced by central kitchens. So you get a few open. And the idea is really to see if we can specifically working with minority and low income communities, take young folk, um, put them in as, you know, these venues really need two operators. So put them in as the second person, um, give them a chance to train and learn and basically give them the next venue that opens. So give them a substantial ownership with 30, 40%. It speaks really great for us because we don't have to worry about staff turning up because this person gets ownership. And it really gives us an opportunity to speak into certain communities who think, look, my chance is really to only you know, to be some, let's say, you know, big billionaire. That's all I think about when I see a business. You want to say, no, you can actually own your own small business. It's not going to give you $100 million a year, but it's going to pay you well. You can get a mortgage and send the kids to school and really give an opportunity to folks who don't have the wealthy cousin or the tax or the uncle that has money to invest in a business. This is a great initiative in a great city. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, closing thoughts. We're down to seven. I think the seven best chefs there, um, outside of Robin, I think the seven best chefs are there. Yeah. Uh, excited to see. For Tom Haberstroh, for Hersey Ash, this is Kevin Arnimitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com.